From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we visited with Tim Parks and Lance Hyatt from Marked Tree Vineyards in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Tim and Lance spent a lot of time visiting wine regions around the world. It was the East Coast wines that inspired them to get into the industry, and they still serve as their inspiration. Wine Class with the Wine Mounts is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talk about Syrah. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. Sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So we're here today with Lance and Tim of Mark Tree Vineyard. Lance and Tim, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank, Thank you. you. Happy to be here. Um, my name is Tim Parks, and this is... I'm Lance Hyatt. And um, our team consists of... Whew, um, we have Hannah Lips, who's our tasting room manager. We have Jason Fernandez, who is our estate manager. Um, and then I'll let Lance tell you about some of our winemakers. Uh, our winemakers, we have we have several, which is awesome because we get to uh, experiment with different grapes, different ways of doing the grapes. Um, we have Justin Taylor. We have uh, Dane Dressler, who's uh, our nephew who went to Surrey. So one of the good things about having um, so many folks helping support us um, is that um, it has been an interesting journey on how we got started. Lance, you want to tell them about your time when you were younger going to Chablis? Sure. Uh, one of the funny things is, you know, I was I was just gotten out of high school and I'd gotten a scholarship with a Rotary scholar with the Rotary Club. Thank you, Rotary Club. Um, thank you, Rotary Club. We love you. <laughs> and um, so I went and lived in France for a year. And the family I lived with, their uncle had a vineyard in Chablis. So I got to go and experience that when I was you know, 19 years old and kind of see the whole process of growing the grapes. And it was harvest time at that point. And, um, you know, they were all bringing everything in. And um, it, it was just, it really, like, struck a chord. I was like, wow, I mean, this is really cool. Um then after that, you know, later on, we would all, Tim and friends, we would go around, we'd go to, uh, we went back, went to Vouvray, went to the Burgundy region, we went to um, Boone. Boone, and um, Lance was excited to take me to France and speak French. None of them spoke any French, so it was like, <laughs> just, they were just lost, and it was awesome, because I... They all thought I was <laughs> German, or... Oh, they thought you were from Norway because you had to... I had a platinum blonde hair at the time. Yeah. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. Yeah. But um, anyway, it was uh, it was a good kind of, you know, something that's always been in the back of our, our minds is like, wow, we really kind of like the that. I think what's interesting, too, then, is after that trip, um, it became a series of trips where we found, as a family, um, we would constantly find ourselves going to different areas to go to wine regions. We've been to Napa uh, for Lance's 40th birthday. We went to uh, Napa, Sonoma, uh, Paso Robles. We stayed at Hillsburg um, and had just the best time. And then, you know, we've been to... Charlotte's. Um, well, all through we went, the... We went to the Shenandoah Valley. Shenandoah Valley. And uh, we've been to, um, you know, different wine regions, you know, in Europe and in the States. And what happens is after you go to them you start to tell yourself a story, right? You start to say, oh, I could do this. Um, so it that, didn't be... happen. that didn't happen in California. It was like way <laughs> yeah. too big. Or like, well, uh, no, this is, this is way too much, way too much. Yeah. So you start to, you know, you have a couple glasses of wine and you get that liquid courage and you're just like, oh, we could do this. Totally. We could totally do this. And what happened was, to Lance's point, we would go to California and we'd see these big, huge facilities. And we were like, how do you get from plan A to plan B? How do you get from the first part to the second mm -hmm. part? And it became very kind of overwhelming. And then um, in our um, corporate paths, um, we ended up living in Atlanta for, how long were we in Atlanta? Five years? Five, six, six years? years, yeah. And we had a mountain home in Blue Ridge, Georgia. 
and um, we got to go to some smaller wineries. Um, we went to one of our favorite is um, Crane Creek in Young Harris, Wolf Mountain, Wolf Mountain, mm-hmm. Delonica, um, and we would take day trips um, when we would go up on the weekends from our corporate paths at the time, and that was the first time we could actually see a smaller scale winery to where we could visualize how to go from A to B, where it wasn't just as some gigantic corporation. It was something that was small batch, small run. And um, and then we go to like Yadkin Valley and just, I was blown away by how many wineries were there. Cause you know, living in New Orleans, lived in New Orleans for so long, I was like, there's no way anybody's gonna make you know wine in the South. There's just, come on, really? <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, we go to Yadkin Valley and, um, See all the amazing wineries there, and um, we would take we would take trips. So what happened was we ended up um, downloading in two thousand nine a, a a winery business plan from Cornell University. I think everybody uses that one. Um, <laughs> so well, you know, it's, like, <laughs> it's good. Yes, yeah, so we downloaded oh, it, we printed it, and we ended up filling it all out. And we still reference it to this day quite often because we had to do a three-year plan of like when you plant versus when you harvest and we had to come up with everything. Uh, it was really a good tool that we used, but we didn't, we still didn't have a, we still didn't have a winery. We still didn't have a vineyard. We still didn't have any property. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we invited. Um, that was always kind of the funny thing though, is we'd go to like, we went to Syracuse, went to the New York um, Eastern Wine Eastern Wine Conference. We go okay. to the North Carolina Grape Growers Association. We, our vacations from our corporate paths would be to go to wine conferences. Wine conferences. We can relate. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's one of the things LA that Ranch. I think you guys said when I first met you. I'm like, I totally get it. Yeah, yeah. but everybody so we would sit there. Go ahead. Everybody was like, "So where's your winery? Where's your vineyard?" And we're like, "We don't have one." <laughs> <laughs> Ellie May, come Ellie here. Come here. And it was funny because yeah. we would have. Um, we went, it got to be so embarrassing that we actually went to uh, Kinko's and made $50 <laughs> business cards that just said Mark Tree Vineyard, just so that when we went to these conferences, we could have something that looked a little more official than us just showing up with like ourselves and people asking us all these questions. Be like, oh, here's our, here's our business card, which had at the time just our personal emails and our personal phone numbers on it. And sure. every now and then I'll run across one in a suitcase and I'll giggle about it. Um, I think we may still have one of those cards. Yeah, I think it might, actually, yeah. I mean, we started going to the North Carolina Wine Growers Conference well before we ever had anything, because you know, we wanted to um, learn and be a student of what we were getting ready to get into before we got into it. And then what ended up happening is in um, 2009, after um, looking around for a very long time, we started to get really serious. We would come up to this area, um, from Atlanta, we'd spend one weekend here a month in um, Hendersonville. In Hendersonville, looking at property, I think our agent thought we were crazy. Um, we ended up going to. Um, we looked all over. We looked north of Asheville, south of Asheville, west of Asheville, east of Asheville, and then we another weekend a month we would look in the North Georgia mountains, Hiawassee, Blairsville, Blue Ridge. So we would alternate. Um, we really, really loved this area, and we kept gravitating back here. So that's kind of, um, you know, a little bit of the path there. And then in 2015 is when we found this property, and um, yeah, that's kind of we let we you know started this whole project. So to get from point A to point B was definitely not as easy as it sounds for sure. Um, it was more of a passion project and something that just always kept pulling us back to both the wine industry and our love for wine. So what was this, what was on this property when you, when you first bought it? When we first bought it, it was, well, there was a hay field with maybe four or five apple trees in the middle of it. I guess it had been an apple orchard at one point. And um, so it was, it was really ready for vines. And then the uh, back vineyards in the back were actually forest, so we uh, had to work through that, through the rocks and everything to get that prepared for more vineyards. Um, but yeah, it was very good that we started off with something that was very easy here, the pasture, 
or the, the hay field because if we had to do that start over there in the forest uh, we wouldn't have been ready for that so it was it was a nice kind of uh, ease into it planting our grapes the first money we ever made was uh, we hired a lumber broker so those two trees that are over on the ridge that's what that whole that's what all that property was hmm. was lumber um, so we hired a lumber broker um, they came out and had like a monocle it was an electronic monocle I'm, I'm fascinated by this because I still think it's funny because I remember very clearly watching him click the bottom of the tree and then go up and click the top of the tree and sent our lumber out to bid on the market and, and he can tell you how many wow. boards are in that one tree huh. boop 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 all around and we used that money that that was the seed money to plant the vineyard um, what's cool is Lance being the negotiator he was he also got them to put in um, the road, the entrance road, because they need a way to get in and sure, out sure. the lumber. Um, but it was a little like, to Lance's point, like, you know, when you were four or five and you had Tonka trucks, these huge cranes would come in and they'd pull these stumps right out of the ground. Like, and you'd be like, oh my God, this is crazy. Yeah, it, was nuts. it was insane. I mean, the biggest... It was like a 50-ton tractor. Yeah, I mean, they would just come out and just rip stuff out and it, we would come back and we would constantly watch um, the... The, the ridges and the mountains kind of evolved because when we first bought the property, we had some friends who had drones. This is in 2000 and when did, when did Carolyn 15, and Joyner 16. come? Like 14, 15, to have a drone then was like pretty unusual. And one of our friends who's very tech savvy, he brought his drone up here and we had him fly it up to see what it would look like when the trees weren't there. Because we had no idea, you couldn't see the mountain right. ridges. So it's pretty cool. So what was the so when you got ready to plant the vineyard, what were the varieties or variety that you planted first? So the first grapes we planted were the Cab Franc and Limburger, but um, it it was fun because we in, we invited like a hundred and hundred or so friends of ours from high school because I went to high school in South Carolina and we had a lot of friends that lived in Atlanta and invited everyone here and we planted what. 4,000, 6,000 We simply vines. planted 4,000 vines by hand. We dug every hole. We uh, mixed everything from the fertilizer in the hole before we planted the young grape vines. And, Thank you, Joseph Geller. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that that's um, definitely something that, you know, Lance was always someone, his mom often tells the story that when Lance was little, tiny guy, he would um, propagate plants. And he would sell them in styrofoam cups to the neighbors. And he would take and put in the back of his little red wagon a styrofoam plant seedlings that he would sell. How much would you sell them for? Like 25 cents? Yeah, thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> and um, so he's always been this person who had to be in the dirt. And so a lot of times when we told our friends and our family that we were going to start a vineyard, because, again, they didn't believe us because it's going on for so many years, um, they would say... Um, you know, I would say no, but I know that Lance has an enormous green thumb. And so it just was funny to watch it all uh, come about. It was also weird because you go around like, well, what are y'all doing? And be like, making a vineyard. <laughs> you know, you're embarrassed to say it because it seems so unreal, you know. Well, we're planting four or 5,000 acres. I mean, not acres, I wish. Uh, plants, uh, four or 5,000 plants, grapes. Um, and uh, yeah, it... it, it kind of daunting then then you start to say it more and then it becomes kind of like okay yeah it's real but back to the question of which grapes we planted we planted the uh cap franc which uh has been beautiful here in the um, blue ridge um the limburger which love that grape it's a very uh straight vine it's very controlled which we like because you don't want the vines getting out of control because that makes your life miserable um <laughs> Then we have the Gruner, which is a difficult grape, but it makes beautiful wine. And then uh, Vidal Blanc and Chardonnay, which are two hybrids. And we love them because they're very high-producing, high-quality grapes. I think one thing that really gave us inspiration for what to plant is when Lance left his corporate job um, to start this project. So he left before I did. He basically went to Surrey um, in, for, Dobson. in Dobson for... Two like years. Two years. He he went um, for two years. He met um, Joseph Geller. But what I remember the most is, and they had those workshops where anyone could come on the weekends, and I would go up and learn how and to trim. And Bonnie. And Bonnie and I um, 
who's our, our sister-in-law, we would go up and learn how to trim the vines. Like Lance already knew because he was in the program. Right. Um, but we would go to all the workshops. We would learn how to test the pH. We'd learn how to test the bricks. I mean, I thought it was cool as hell. Um, and Lance, um, being in the program, um, one of the things I remember is, Lance, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a, a plot of land at Surrey where they tested all the grapes. Well, it was, it, yeah, it was, uh, they had an experimental vineyard there by the high school, and um, they had, you know, every 20 feet was a different varietal of grapes, which was really awesome because, you know, I, you know, God bless everybody who started the vineyard before, before us. us because it was all, they were all testing on their own, right. you yep. know, it's talking to, to, Mr. Raffaldini, and um, you know, he's talking about he's on his third planting because he had to pull things out because he's trying to find the right clones, right, right everything for his site. And um, luckily at Surrey, they, they had had this test plot, and uh, one of my projects was to make wine out of the Limburger, and it was awesome. I, you know, I really enjoyed it. We trimmed the vine. We got to talk about the vine, um, and you know. Our neighbors um, over at Burnt Shirt, they make a beautiful gruner. Um, so I got to see how they grow it. And um, so, you know, there's a, we're standing on a lot of work other work done by other people, and we're appreciative of that. Um, but I think that's how, you know, we kind of came up with our varietals and what we're doing here. I mean, because when you'd go to Surrey and you'd walk that, Tests you could visibly see the vines that were thriving right. and the vines that were not thriving, and so it and the ones that were crazy out of control and the ones that were control, <laughs> which meant that yeah, there would don't be plant that one. <laughs> yeah. So it became um, easy for us to choose when you go through the program and when you go through the weekend um, clinics, and um, we are probably one of the first to benefit from that work that was done up there. So how many acres are under vine today? Right now we have about 10, 10 acres, I guess, and we're hoping to plant more in the spring. Um, and we just harvested our first uh, muscat this year, which we're really excited about. Um, but yeah, we have about 10 acres right now. We have, um, again, all planted by hand. Um, we did upgrade to a dingo. Um, yeah, I love that dingo. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, all done by hand and um, selected varietals from places we've seen at Surrey or other vineyards before us. The other thing I think is interesting, you know, when we did go on one of these, uh, I guess it was the Eastern Wine Conference in New York and Syracuse, we ran into Lucy Morton, who's... Uh, really she's amazing and um she kind of <laughs> we gave her our first list of grapes we wanted to plant she kind of laughed at us she's like <laughs> really guys come on really um so helped us to edit rootstocks clones all that kind of thing um but yeah i mean so you know then we had a geologist who worked with her and he came out and did soil sampling and testing and um, found out we have a sandy loam soil here, which is perfect. Um, and it's kind of weird because we're kind of right on the cusp. Uh, you have all these apple orchards all around us. Um, but if you go to the far side of the property, all of a sudden you hit the red clay on the other side. So we're right on the cusp of all the sandy loam, um, which I think makes a, a difference in our grapes and our wines. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, better drainage. Better drainage when you're getting over 100 inches of rain a year is pretty important, yeah. you know. So let's take a quick little step back. Um, we didn't talk about the name of yeah. the vineyard, Mark Tree. Where did that come from? So um, one of the fun things about getting to meet Lance's family over the years is um, Lance grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, and we would often go to visit Lance's mother's um, lake house, which is on Lake Murray. Um, in South Carolina and um, every time we would go there I was very fascinated by the fact that Lance's grandfather Gerald um, he collected uh, arrowheads as a child so he would rock around the property and find these arrowheads and then he would make these kind of very folk um, 
shadow boxes with the arrowheads in them. And one of the boxes that was at the, it's, it, it's amazing to see still to this day because I'm like, this is what started it all. Basically, one of the arrowheads he found was at Mark Tree. And so, you know, I've known Lance for over 30 years. And so I would always come to the lake house and I'd be like, this is an amazing name. This is a story. This is something that I've never heard of a Mark Tree before. So what happened then is we started to research what we Mark started to search what a Mark Tree was. Um, we started to go into um, the difference between a trail tree, a marked tree. What does it do? How does it help? What was the what was the the background of it? Because Gerald, bless his heart, has passed, um, and you know I told Lance I'm like, gosh, just from a you know my background is in um, luxury retail and branding and leadership. So that, that story and that brand of the Mark Tree, um, I felt like could just really be something that could be impactful for a story and for the fact that, you know, it was a cool thing to have Lance's dad collect arrowheads from Mark well, Tree. But, but basically, Mark Tree, uh, when this was all Native American territory, um, they didn't have road signs, billboards, or anything like that. So they had to create their own navigation system. And so the mark trees, they would take a sapling and they would tie it down to the ground and then it would kind of make this L shape. And that L shape, which is our logo, if you are familiar with our logo, um, the, the L points you in a direction down a path. It points you to, say, a hunting ground. If it's, say, an oak or ash might point you to a watering hole or, you know, they had different trees meant different things they were pointing you to. And um, so we just thought that was a kind of a, really cool thing because at that point um we were we were both we were just i had been an architect for 20 years and he had been doing his retail um for 20 plus years and we were looking for a new path we were looking for a new way to go so um mark tree became our our new path our new marker in the landscape and i think too it's also kind of it's, it's also an homage to this area. I mean, we're pretty sure, I mean, when it rains here, we always go out and look for arrowheads. We're pretty sure that, you know, this is part of sacred ground, at least in our heads, we tell ourselves that. Um, but I also think, pretty likely. Yeah, but I also think that we um, find that there's a lot of good symbolism in folks trying to find their path, uh, us trying to find our path, but also understanding that when people come to a vineyard, it's about enjoying the path that they're on. Um, you know, we often say, you know, the team, because that question gets asked a lot. Um, probably it's in the top five of questions we get asked at the vineyard. Um, and we often, you know, uh, talk to the team and, and I, it's fun now to hear the team say, you know, well, a mark tree is a way that uh, Native Americans would guide people on their path. And at Mark Tree, we want you to have a glass of wine and enjoy your path. So it just became a kind of a fun way to kind of start our journey and kind of bring it to the folks who come visit us. Oh, great. Awesome. Well, we're actually at a really good spot to take a quick little break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the wines that you make, the grapes that you grow. Sounds good. It's time again for Wine Class with the Wine Mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. Thank you. Thank So what variety are we talking about today? Today we're going to be discussing Syrah. Mm, excellent. So tell us about Syrah. So Syrah is a French grape that originated in the Northern Rhone region. Traditionally in France, the Côte du Rhone blend is Syrah blended with Grenache or Mouvedre. Um, and DNA profiling has shown that Syrah is actually a cross between two minor Rhone varieties, lesser known, neither of which today are prolifically planted, but have produced something greater than the sum of its parts. <laughs> Since we've never heard of the parents, probably so. So Syrah does really well in the vineyard, um, kind of depending on the location. We do have some plantings in North Carolina, not as much as some other grapes, but it can be vigorous early on. So it would require a lot of canopy management, um, but as they get older, if they're able to, you know, get a decade on them or so, they start to be able to do well and they do well in warmer 
areas. There's also an old saying that Syrah likes a view because in the Rhone, you know, there's a lot of hillsides. And so the Syrah does best on the hills where um, the vines can produce less fruit and it's more concentrated. So it's a fancy grape that likes its its view. I think we could all like a view. Certainly. I'm with Syrah. <laughs> And yeah, the vigor is something we hear from a lot of folks that yeah, if you contain that vigor, you can make something really, really nicely, really nice grape. So how does it do in the winery then? So in the winery, it does really well. And historically, it's a really good blending grape. Um, it has very thick skin and a really deep color. And the color, you know, gives a really intense purple hue. So on its own, it makes a really great standalone wine really great for blending if you need you know an extra punch of tannin or you want more color in your wine there is a big difference with like cool climate versus warm climate you know and kind of how bold your Syrah is going to be the warmer climates are going to be um more bold higher alcohol content kind of deal there's also because of the thick skins a lot of antioxidants in Syrah so it's one of your healthy wines well I definitely think that uh it's always good to have a healthy portion of Syrah. But I was also thinking too, um, you always do see, or you, you very commonly see Syrah blended with things. So like you'd mentioned before with Grenache or with Mavedra, it's definitely one of those that pairs nicely with others. Certainly with Cote Routine and Vignet, always a good blend. Yeah. And that blend's cool because it's like, it happens in the vineyard. They're just like grown together. So they become a blend before it even hits the winery. So what uh, food pairings will we recommend with Syrah? So Syrah, since it's a bold, heavy red wine, you would want to pair it with bold foods. So dark meat, some gamey meats, venison would be a good pairing. I was picturing, okay, hear me out. <laughs> um, dates, blue cheese, and bacon, either mm. as a salad or as a standalone appetizer. Sounds amazing. With a Syrah. Yeah, I mean, you, I wouldn't necessarily do a salad with Syrah traditionally, but I feel like with that, all those like manly toppings, I think it could really hold it in. <laughs> also, just a blue cheeseburger or something like that. You go a lot of different ways with this. So I think you're definitely right with the the bolder, kind of gamier meats and heavier things. I'm trying to think back of what we've paired Syrah with in the past. I think we've definitely done like a cassoulet, something that has like, you know, duck and pork and sausage and beans and tomatoes and all the things that give you indigestion. So that, that's <laughs> yummy in winter, of course. But I, I mean, I think even mushrooms, if you want something, uh, you know, if you want something that non-meat, um, then something like that would go well with Syrah. And certainly if it's blended with other of the Rhone varieties such as Mavedra or Grenache, I think that would definitely be a good pairing. Yeah, that sounds delicious. As always, you're making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. We just ate, so we're yeah, on for round two. <laughs> Any other tidbits about Syrah? Just a parting um, note is that Syrah and Shiraz are the same thing. Hmm. And Syrah and Petite Syrah are not the same thing. That's good to point out. Yeah, always a good thing to know. Well, Jesse and Jessica, this has been a great time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. You can find out more information about the Winemouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back with Lance and Tim. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the wines that you make with the fruit that you grow here. Well, um, it's interesting because, you know, we started off with like, okay, we're only going to have five varietals. We're only going to make five wines. Keep it very simple. But it's hard to do that <laughs> because you end up with like, there's so many different variations that we seem to find and, um as wine you know, goes into barrel, goes into stainless steel, goes into um, harvest early, harvest late, different factors of weather. So we still have five. We now have added. So we have six. Seven, we have seven varietals. Seven varietals. But just by the volume that we have, there's so many different kind of variations of things that you can make with those varietals. And um, 
I think a great example might be our, our Vidal Blanc. We get a lot, we have a lot of Vidal Blanc. Um, but with that Vidal Blanc, we make a after dinner wine. It's 3% residual sugar. We make a dry version. We make a off dry version. We make a rosé with, with it, with the Cab Franc. We make, so, I mean, there's a lot of and variations. Sparkling done in the methods. And, and the, yeah, the, the sparkling wine, which um, we're very proud of. And um, so, yeah, I think right now we're getting ready to release um, our 2018 uh, Reserve Cab Franc, which has been in barrel for almost three years now. So we're really excited about that. That's kind of like our, our first harvest. Yeah, it's our first harvest. Oh, wow. And, um, and yeah, so. I think um, what's interesting for us being, again, new on the scene um, and what's interesting for our guests and what's interesting for our team is that we are putting out there 100% of what it is. Um, we have a 2019 Cap Franc that just got released last Saturday, which was in a barrel for 20 months. And it's just all Cap Franc. It's all state grown. And we have a Limburger that was released last weekend for our Oktoberfest. Um, and it's all, it is what it is, all 100% the varietal. And our blending that we're doing is what I was just talking about was the kind of the, the varietals, the difference in the varietals, like you'll have certain barrels, we have different kinds of barrels, um, and we have stainless steel barrels, and then within that we do the blending. But I think it's so interesting for someone to be able to go, hey, what does a Limburger taste like? Well, here, right here. You know, you don't have to sit there and go, well, this is a blend of five different grapes, and, which is awesome. I mean, you know, we do that too. But I think it's nice to just have kind of like a, uh, where you can say, this is a Cab Franc. It's 100%. This is a Limburger. This is a Gruner. So you know kind of the baseline of where you're starting from. And, um, you know, we, we do blend. We blend our um, Cab Franc and Limburger together to make Watershed, which is one of our blends. Um, but anyway, I, I like just having the basic 100% varietal so you can just know what that varietal is. I think what also happens with that is it's easy for our team to explain to um, in the tasting room. And I think it's interesting for their guests, our guests to wrap their head around, you know, trying it. One of the things that's interesting in terms of the varietals, you know, we have uh, Gruner Veltlinger and Limburger, which are two um, German vinifera where we're one of the few in North Carolina to grow a Limburger. Um, and I don't, um, you know, again, Lance's time at Surrey, meeting Joseph Geller, he was able to help navigate us along with Lucy Morton, uh, going to wine conferences. But what we were trying to do is support the whole North Carolina team, especially this part of the Western North Carolina. I mean, we wanted to be able to provide a way for someone to go to this winery and taste this, go to that winery and taste this, and then come to us and taste this. Um, we want everyone to be successful. So I think the more diversification we have in the wines that all of us grow and provide, the better it is for the whole industry. Because one of the things that was important to us and one of the reasons we picked this location was that we were near other wineries. We didn't want to be a standalone winery. We, we, we had no desire. We wanted people to come and go on a path. We wanted them to take a wine trail. Um, and when we were looking for property, it was important for us to see that there were other wineries around us that people could go to three in a day or four in a day. And um, then from there, it was about how do we um, create something that would draw them here that was unusual or something that maybe they not have heard of. And right now, Limburger and our Gruner has been kind of a little bit of a wow. People wait for the Limburger. Um, we sold out of it. In two, we sold out of our 2018. We just released our 2019 and um, it's amazing to me um, that how different they are, but how still they're still that varietal. Still Limburger. Um, and but also, I just want to say something. You know, it, it's been just the the community around here, the agricultural community, um, our neighbors with all the apple orchards, our other wineries, uh, other wineries. Eric Case over at. Thank you, um, Eric. Yeah, thank you, Eric. Burnt shirt, um, amazing. Just to have that knowledge, you know that. Um, we have support from all of these people. It's it's been it's been amazing, really, because I I wasn't sure, you know, newbies growing grapes like 
what, <laughs> what's the support team out there? But really, it's been amazing, like how all our neighbors have like just jumped right in. And I didn't even know how to drive a tractor when I bought one. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, the tractor shows up on a big 16 wheeler and the guy's like, you want to back it down? I'm like, um, I'm gonna let you do it. And so he backed it down and I had to get out the, the little, uh, book and read about how to start it and move it. And we got it up here and Eric showed me how to do it. And, um, so yeah, it, it's been, it's been really good and just amazing with all of our neighbors. That's the, that's what we typically hear in the wine industry is folks yeah. actually work together mm-hmm. and they're not really in competition. You right. want to have the you trail. Want, you want, they want, want to trail. Yeah. Other. I mean, and that's because it's what people want to do. Yeah. I mean, I want people and I love it when people say, when I love it, when people come to the tasting room and I'm like, well, where all have you been today? And they say, well, I've been here, here and here. I'm like, oh my God, that's great. I'm glad that we're part of your journey. Um, and when people leave, they're like, where else should we go? And then I'm like, oh, we should try here, here or here. Um, and I think it's important for everyone to support and I think that that's what we found here um, so we're really excited um, everything's been great so when was opening day May 23rd of 2020 we opened in a pandemic um, which was really fun super fun I remember getting the call from it was um, Dan actually from NC Fine Wines called and he's like hey man you can uh, open. the governor said that y'all can open up and um we're like, oh my! So we're up at four o'clock in the morning putting furniture together because we, you know, we just thought we well, it, we it wasn't going to happen. And so, you know, and then then Craig and Tina from Stone Ash called us and they're like, "Are y'all opening?" Yes, we're opening. Okay, we're going to try. So, you know, everybody was trying to um, open, and actually Tina and Craig couldn't open at that point, but Tina came over and, and worked us. worked the tasting room with us. Oh, cool. So um, that was great. Another example of everybody jumping right in. And um, so, yeah, it was good. I think it, it really helped us, actually. It was it sounds weird for a pandemic to help us, but what happened was is because we no one knew us, no one knew how to get here, um, and because we were off the radar, but we were open, and because we were open in a pandemic, we could open and have some hiccups, have some... Only three people show up, and then that let us get our stories going, I right? I mean, it, it, it enabled us to really fine-tune and understand what we wanted to become in terms of a representation for the wine experience for us in Western North Carolina. And who our and, customers were. And who our customers be. were. And, you know, we had um, days where we would see hardly less than 20 people, but then we'd have other days where we'd see, you know... 25. 25. <laughs> um, and, I mean, opening in a pandemic, I'd also taught us to do things that maybe we wouldn't have intended to do. For example... Um, because we opened in a pandemic, we decided to go with table service only from the moment we open. And we haven't stopped that. And our customers seem to really like that. Um, and, you know, we constantly do have customers that come in and give us a little pushback or they're like, can we bring our own lawn chairs? Can we just get a drink at the bar? And, um, you know, we found our we found our voice to say, well, we're not a bar. Right. We're a tasting room, mm-hmm. and that's not who we are, and sorry, um, but um, if you want to wait, we'll be happy to put you on a wait list, and we'll have you wait, um, and um, it's been hard from my retail background to say no to a guest, um, and it's been a little overwhelming, but what I've found is that the we're, we are trying to be serious about the experience, and by having opened in a pandemic and learned that the table service was something that our guests really reacted to, that came out of a necessity to spread everyone out, um, it actually has worked in our favor. And I will say it's a great experience too, because you go there, you sit, you have a great view of wherever you're looking, and then you just kind of have someone come to you, pour your wine, talk about it, and then you don't have to worry about where you're standing right. or who else is around you. You can just <laughs> yeah. sit. It was it was uh, funny though. I mean, when we first opened, Lance and I were averaging on our uh, Apple watches sixteen thousand steps a day. Oh, wow! <laughs> so we spread because we 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 realized that we spread everyone out too far. Um, so like we had we had Adirondacks underneath the big oak tree when you walked in by the fireplace on the lawn. On the lawn and I was like, I mean, we were. I yeah. mean, I we would get back to the house after. I mean, closed at seven, so it wasn't like again a super late night. But we get back and I'm like sixteen thousand steps. I'm like. 
oh my God, like we can't keep this up. Um, so we started to whittle it in a little bit, but still providing the space um, that everyone needed. But it was a funny story because we would always, it became a little bit of a competition. We we're like, how many steps did you have? How many steps did you have? Um, and, and I think also part of like this whole process of opening in a pandemic is because we weren't just like, here's your wine and running away. We would like, here's your wine. We tell you about the wine. And so we start the, developing these stories about like the grapes. And so our whole team has stories about, you know, the grapes, where they first experienced it, what they like about it. Um, so it's, it's a great kind of uh, each of our guests gets a conversation about what's in front of them, which I think for us makes it more special and everyone can take something home and say, hey, you know, I just learned about a Limburger today. Did you know it's grown in Germany? and Similar to a Pinot Noir or Gamay. And, did you know um, they grew it in an experimental vineyard at, in, at Surrey in Dobson, North Carolina in the Yadkin Valley? I mean, it's, so it's just, it, it kind of grows from there. And um, our guests come back and we try to refresh the stories as best we can. Because <laughs> some of them, you know, it's like, I've heard that one, all right. What's next? Um, but that's okay, too, because we're making new stories every year with every vintage. There's something different, something special something about that. Something that happens that year. Yeah. Mm, for sure. So. Yeah. I would say that overall, we learned a lot. We still have a ton to learn. We're still always amazed when people come in and um, we just try really hard to tell the story about this place um, because you know I tell the team all the time you know you can go to I think I learned this at the North Carolina Wine Conference you can go to Ingalls and get a seven dollar bottle of wine and sit on your porch why are we special um, so you know I keep telling the team like you know your ability to tell about the sense of place is what's going to connect them to us and make them feel like they're enjoying something more than just a bottle of wine so talk a little bit more about the, the property here. It sits on the Eastern Continental Divide, right? And then yeah. you have actually have another tasting room in downtown Asheville too, right? Yes. Um, so one of the funny stories, um, Lance being an architect prior in his career path, um, he has, um, all of our friends have helped us plant or come and trimmed over the course of the year. For the first four years, we were farmers. We didn't have a tasting room. So um, people always thought it was hilarious that, they would come here and there was never any wine on the table. <laughs> we had wine, but it was not out. Yeah. Um, so it was in a barrel. Um, one of Lance's um, really good friends, Palomago, um, who's also an architect, and then some of our really good friends from Atlanta, Carolyn Joyner, um, they were really instrumental in helping us get started in the design and the winery and if you would have come here i just was telling this to mr raffaldini i was like if you would have come here in 2015 16 17 and 18 there would be um stakes up where the building is now with tomato twine outlining the building and any given weekend one of our friends one of lance's um uh, colleagues from um you know paul carolyn who have either architecture or design background Alice. Alice. They would come and move the sticks around. And I would be like, I would be amazed. I would just sit back and I'd be like, watch this. It was the most crazy thing I've ever seen. They would literally take the stakes from like a bamboo stake, like in the vineyard. They'd punch it down and they'd pull tomato twine. And it would outline the building and they would move it. It would, it would contract, expand, pivot, turn. Um, and then we also had, um, it was fun because we had two senior thesis years from SCAD and Savannah, they did all their senior projects here. So we had all, you know kids running around doing this thesis projects. And even today, if you go online, you'll see, you know, look up Mark Tree Vineyard. Be careful what you look at, because you might be looking at a thesis project. <laughs> but um, so yeah, Alice Guest did that. So we had a lot of input from um, other creative people, and we kind of honed all that information and put it together. and. Um, created our tasting room up there and um, one of the things that Lance and the the design team I'll call it really focused on <laughs> he did he did air quotes just so you know <laughs> um, was uh, it was really important to us to take advantage of like the building is um, on the summer solstice yeah um, to take advantage of the views and the building actually sits on the Eastern Continental Divide 
Um, what's great about that is um, several things. One, you know, for our guests who, you know, it's amazing. We have a lot of guests, uh, also important to us was to be, again, near other wineries that do a lot of hiking and are very outdoorsy. And so to be on the Eastern Continental Divide provides them kind of a, another navigation point along their path, like, oh, I was, I was here. And it relates back to a little bit about, you know, the branding of our name. And then it also kind of relates back to the way that the building's positioned. So it takes advantage of views. Um, we have 360 degree views. We take advantage of the, 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 the way that the building is also positioned blocks the wind. So if you're sitting on what we call Tryon Terrace, it's warmer than if you're sitting on Pisgah Porch um, because of the way that they talked about it. It was definitely a lesson for me um, being in my background in a leadership role in a uh, retail environment where things happen at a much faster pace and I want to bring things to a close. And then when you're dealing with <laughs> um, creative people who are very methodical. It takes, it takes us time. We have to think about things. And Tim's like, I want that design now. And yeah, no, it was, uh, we're thinking about it. Give us, you know, come on. And I mean, now that you see it, you kind of get it. And, um, you know, it is definitely a lesson in patience for, uh, for you, for me. <laughs> but I would say that the overarching thing was that, again, I go back to like, it was very much collaborative. Same with the vineyard. Um, again, you know, we have enormous support from all of the North Carolina wine growers, the Wine Growers Association. I mean, down to the people who supported us to help get our building up and running. So, yeah, I mean, it's a cool thing, too, to be able to say the building's on the Eastern Continental Divide. I mean, Lance and I often talk about, you know, we've been to Key West, and they have that southernmost point marker. I'm like, we need to get some sort of cool artist yeah. to do some sort of thing out there so people can take selfies and be like, we're on exactly. the Eastern Continental Divide. At Mark Tree. At Mark Tree. And I'm like, what does it look like? And, you know, we, we that's the latest thing we've been on, a creative. And maybe there's some sort of wine, high, a wine yeah. table or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it would be cool to have something like that. I mean, we... Um, you well, know, our Gruner definitely has the line going on the label. Because, I mean... Yes. Right now you're it's sitting right yes. you're, you're sitting on it right now and that's the Gruner and the line the Eastern Continental Divide goes right straight through there. But um, yeah. so yeah, I mean it was it's been good. I mean we uh, find that the um, other thing that's been good about us is that Lance's background again, you know, we call it modern barn or barn dominium, like kind of this kind of like modern take on what we think of a wine a wine tasting room would be. I think you definitely get it too because when you walk in it's like okay this is it's not quite what you see in some other places it is a little bit more modern it is more you can definitely tell that the architectural principles are there and that's that's kind of cool what's funny is like some people come in because we have all these roll-up doors and they're like did you design this for the pandemic and we're like uh no <laughs> it was already built before the pandemic right. but um it was just funny you know they but think, it works yeah it yeah, works and it works. I mean, you got the breeze. You got it. It's a little cooler here probably than, than some other places. So it's yeah. take advantage of the of the weather and, and people love that. They yeah. can be outdoors and feel still feel comfortable. They do love indoors. that. They love the fact that we're indoor outdoor. Um, you know the the customers feel felt safe, which is why they came to right. us during a pandemic because they could they knew they were spread out. They knew that they could be outdoors and. Um, they, they 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 appreciate that although some of them thought we designed it that way which was not the case um, <laughs> well, as far fun. as the vineyards go i think our site is amazing for um grape growing and i know saying our site is amazing sounds like i'm really bragging but you know we looked for nine years for the right site and i think that's another thing that um might be different because a lot of we had the chance to actually look for the right site. We were trying to find a site just for grape growing. So, you know, we have three ridges. There's valleys between the ridges. So, you know, cold when there's a frost, all the cold air drains down into the right. valleys. So we have less frost damage. Um, so, you know, and then we have the soils. Um, we have the cool nights. We have the warm days. So we really kind of you know, worked hard to find the, the right spot for these vines. Um, 
again, we're benef we, we benefited from the work that was done prior to us by the work that was done by people who either had a family farm and had wanted to plant vines and had to go through a batch or two of what worked. Um, so it's been interesting um, for us um, because it just didn't happen overnight. It was something that took us a long time to get, again, from point B to C after we got to point B. It just was um, all about, you know, finding the right site. I mean, again, we, we looked for a really long time. So let's talk about point C and beyond. What are you looking most forward to in the future? Oh, my gosh. Right now, I think uh, the biggest thing is to make a larger, larger winery. Our, our winery right now is is itty bitty and um, Dane is out there working in it now but um, you know I think we'd like to create a larger larger winery where and and I want it to be a place where our guests can kind of see um, the wine being made as you know it's kind of educational where you can kind of experience um, how the wine's made and what the process is and you know, a lot of wineries have, have done that. Some have been more successful than others. Um, again, it's it's that whole learning thing of trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Because um, it's kind of hard to make wine when everybody's just like staring at you like in a fishbowl or <laughs> ask, trying to ask you questions while you're trying to like crush grapes or everybody wants to jump in and crush the grapes with you. Um, or you have big heavy equipment. Um, so yeah, there's a balance there somehow. And, uh, we're going to try to figure that out. I think for um, the uh, tasting room side is the downtown tasting room. Um, we opened the downtown tasting room. Really, um, it kind of happened um, by circumstance. One of our uh, guests um, actually ended up working for us. Um, she actually had a business that was there. And uh, due to the pandemic, like a lot of businesses, on no fault of their own, uh, couldn't survive during the pandemic. So um, it was one of those things where we constantly had guests come to us. Um, they were in the tasting room. They're like, you know, you guys should think about going down Nashville. There's a business down there. Like we had guests, like people I, and I was like, do you know this? You know, like it was, it became very much about like the universe is calling, pick up the phone type of thing. Um, to the point where Lance and I would talk about it, and I'd be like, Lance, again, this weekend, some customer who doesn't know me, doesn't know the prior owners, said, you guys should think about going into downtown Asheville. And um, we we actually fought it. We were like, no, 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 no. It's too much all at once. We just opened. Um, we opened in May. We opened our downtown in, in December. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, but, you know, it, it became a situation where we really felt like, um, again, there were several things that lined up for us. One, people people didn't know about us. Like, we don't have a billboard. Um, we don't do any advertising. Um, so we really thought, like, downtown could be our big advertisement for us. Sure. Um, so we really felt like if we opened a downtown tasting room, people would come to the downtown tasting room. And it's interesting, you know. It's downtown Asheville. Downtown Asheville, yes. Not, yeah. So it's interesting, the downtown Asheville Tasting Room, when people come there, you know, I really talk to the team about one of the first things you should say out of your mouth, and, you know, I worked down there probably once a week, I was there last Thursday, is you you should say, hi, welcome, and the second thing out of your mouth should be, we're a local vineyard 20 miles from here, um, and we grow our grapes, so what would you like to do? We'd like to go to a tasting. And that, from that moment, people ask more questions, um, and they start to then be like, wait, you're 20 miles from here and we're like yeah we're 20 miles from here and then you know then then we say well where are you from they said well, we're from greenville we're from south carolina we're from atlanta uh, we're from tennessee and i'm like well how are you going back <laughs> well you're going to pass it on your way back um and so what happened is is that it's become kind of this really great for lack of a better term billboard for us but it's um, also interesting because we're getting into a whole new mix and meeting all sorts of new people uh, like Botanist and Barrel and Plebe and Biltmore and I mean there's like a whole another group that's right. up there that we're starting to meet and, and, and work with so you know I, I think it's been more than just a billboard it's been kind of a it started out that way but it's yeah. evolved into friendship with Landon and 
all of the team at with Chris. Chris and yeah, I mean and, it's just and Lauren. Um, so yeah, it's been it's it's been good. I think we're just kind of kind of finding our little spot here, and you know we are working with Parker and Ben's all the way, and now we're up with Plebe, and we're kind of like and T Craig and Tina over at Stone Ash and burnt shirt and you know it, it's just like there's this whole little kind of western north carolina wine community that we're we're all kind of working together and um and learning from each other and helping each other and um yeah it's really it's exciting it's, it's very exciting. exciting but neil hugo's our downtown tasting room manager sorry neil i didn't mention that earlier downtown Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> very cool so a couple of options for folks to, to find so maybe give some specifics on how folks can find the vineyard here, physically and virtually, and <laughs> same with the downtown tasting room in Asheville. Well, uh, this is an interesting thing that I'm glad you asked because uh, the best way to find us is on Google, Google Maps, um, or you can go to our website at marktreevineyard.com. Um, Apple Maps, I would not use because they take you in the back, our service, and you might get hit by a tractor. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but yes, our, our Mark Tree and Mark Tree. Uh, vineyard.com is the best way to find us and for the downtown location it's at the corner of ashton and lexington it's down from the red double-decker bus which is an easy landmark um, that i like to tell everyone um, all you do is you go to the red double-decker bus and you're gonna take a left or right going towards lexington and we're right on the corner um, and um, they're open later than here um, we're not open as late as um, the bars and restaurants we're open until nine on Friday and Saturday, and open till eight Monday through Thursday. And you're on Facebook and Instagram as well. We're on Instagram and Facebook, um, although more on Instagram I'd say than Facebook. But that's just kind of I'm more visual, so I I seem to work better on Instagram, and that's at uh, Martry Vineyard on Instagram. Anything else you'd like uh, your visitors to know about Mark Tree Vineyard and uh, coming out and having them? I think that probably the biggest thing, and we kind of talked about this um, before, um, what's a little bit different than us is when they come to Mark Tree, they're going to do a guided tasting. It's not a flight. Um, we have a lot of guests that come in and say, how much is your flight? And I'm like, we don't do a flight. We do a guided tasting. And then they're like, what is that? Um, and I'd say that a guided tasting is one pour at a time where we give you a little bit of history about the place, a little bit of history about the design, a little bit of history about the varietal, a little bit of history about, you know, where it was planted, what happened that year. So a guided tasting does take longer. Um, and it's funny, you know, I was working the tasting room yesterday and a customer was like, well, this is, I mean, a guided tasting. What's that? And I'm like, and I said what I said to you guys. And then he's like, well, I don't know. He was definitely interested and curious, but at the same time, he was a little apprehensive about committing to that much time. <laughs> uh, so what ended up happening, and it's funny because Lance and I later were talking about it back at the house. And um, Lance was like, wow, that really could have gone either way. Um, and what happened is, is at the end of the time and at the end of the tasting, he ended up buying like five bottles of wine. Um, and so I just go back to, you know, to the team and their ability to talk about, again, the sense of place. Um, so it is a guided tasting and even downtown is a guided tasting. So if you are coming here, plan to spend at the very minimum an hour just doing a tasting to get to know our place, our wine and kind of who we are. Well, Lance and Tim, thank you very much. This has been a great conversation. We definitely always enjoy coming here. We love having you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Tim and Lance. You should make time to visit Mark Tree and find your path along the way. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? We'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more info at patreon.com slash corkdoll. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
at NC Wine Guys. And you can see our cat as well. Until next time. And remember, the cat only meows when she wants some food. Cheers! Quark Talk is a free ride LLC production. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.